This is Thoughts from the Metal Cavern, where only one opinion matters, and it's not yours. On today's episode of The Casual Man Catter, we take a look at two quite amazing incidents that have occurred in the 2023 World Cup over the past couple of days. Firstly, we discuss the first ever incident of a player being dismissed timed out in an international match. We look at the timeline of what occurred, talk about why it happened, and the various opinions and options that could have been taken by all parties involved, and why in the long run, they did not. Secondly, last night's match saw arguably the greatest innings in ODI history played out by Glenn Maxwell, an innings under both game pressure and body reeking pressure that made it hard to believe that it could actually occur. We discuss Australia's part in practically losing their match against Afghanistan before Glenn the Messiah Maxwell brought Australia back from the dead to pull off an incredible and incredulous victory. That's the talking points on today's episode of The Casual Man Catter, on the podcast that is still the bastion of all things cricket, even the most unbelievable thoughts from the Metal Cavern. I guess the first thing we've got to talk about is being timed out. (laughs) And this was quite a thing to watch as it occurred the other night. Um, And a really interesting twist on everything that goes about the laws of cricket and the so-called spirit of cricket. So for those who aren't aware, the other night on on Monday... Bangladesh are playing Sri Lanka in a World Cup game that both have to win if they want to make the Champions Trophy next year because it's only the top seven teams who make uh, in this World Cup who will actually play in that next season. So a wicket has fallen and Angelo Matthews has walked onto the ground with his helmet in place. It's already on and he didn't rush out. He didn't come out straight away as the uh, batter was dismissed and he's walked out to the middle and he's met his partner who's come over to talk to him. They've talked about what's going on and then he's looked at the wicket and then eventually he's muddling around with his helmet again and at the very last moment he tries to adjust his helmet and the strap basically falls out one side and he looks at it straight away and says oh and he takes his helmet off and he sort of shows it around to no one in particular that's saying, oh, look, this isn't working or whatever. So he's signaled to the dressing sheds and he's called for a new helmet and he's sort of more or less said to his partner, oh, the strap here has fallen out. But at no time has he actually gone to his crease, marked out centre and gotten ready to actually face the next delivery. So he's called for the new helmet 
And a teammate apparently has gone up to Shakib Al Hassan, who is the, the bowler and also the captain of the Bangladesh, Bangladesh team, and said, more than two minutes have passed since that wicket has fallen. You can appeal here for timed out and you'll get him out. Which is exactly what he then did. He went up to the umpires and said, I think he's timed out. I'm appealing for timed out. And apparently, the umpires asked him straight away, are you sure you want to do this appeal? And are you going to rescind it? And he said, no. And then they asked him again a few seconds later or half half a minute later and said, are you going to rescind this? And he said, no. And so the umpires were basically forced into a position of giving Matthews out. Now, it was funny because when you're watching it, no one knew it was going on for a while. And eventually, Matthews was made aware of the fact that he had been given out, timed out. So, of course, then we had all of the hoo-ha that happened after that. We had, uh, he went up twice to Shakib Al-Hassan and he showed him the helmet and he said, are you really going to do this? And he said, yes. Uh, and then we had, uh, he went to the umpires and asked them and the umpires just shook their heads and more or less said, no, you're out. Now, apparently the fourth umpire had informed the umpires that the time limit had expired, which is what he said to the Sri Lankan team as well on the sidelines after the dismissal. And of course, after this, Matthews apparently time-posted some uh, footage that showed that he still had five seconds to go when his helmet actually broke. But the point is, he still hadn't faced up and he wasn't going to face up in that five seconds. So there we had it. And of course, all hell broke loose, basically, because we then lost six or seven minutes of the game rather than just the two (laughs) that it took for Matthews to get out there, and that was a decision that was made. Blew up on social media, blew up with the commentators, still being spoken about as I, as I record this 24 hours later. So, what could have been done or what should have been done in this situation to avoid this? Because is it a good look? It's like when people talk about the man can saying it's a bad look. Well, it's the rules of the game. Uh, again, timed out. It's a bad look for the game. But again, there can be ways of avoiding this occurring. So firstly, Matthews could have just faced up and faced a delivery against the spinner Shakib and blocked it back to the bowler and then turned around and said, my helmet's not safe, I need a new helmet. So if he had done that and he just faced up and got ready to go, then that would have solved that problem. Secondly, he could have faced up and then, as soon as Shakib started running in, he could have pulled away and gestured, gestured to his strap that it was broken and that he needed a new helmet. And then he could call for a new helmet. And there's nothing in the rules that say you get timed out for that. In fact, it happens all the time. So how many times do we see players pulling away saying something's not right, or the bat's wrong, or I need gloves, or whatever it is. And they get them straight away, and there's never any calls by the umpire. So he could have done that. Thirdly, the umpires could have used... Common sense. They could have suggested that this is a safety issue, that the strap falling down and not being able to tighten the helmet is a safety issue, and they could have allowed him to get a new helmet and explained that to Shakib, who couldn't have said anything about that because the umpires have said this is the situation. The fourth point, of course, would have been that Shakib could have made his point saying, uh, he's taking too long. How about I appeal for being timed out, and then, of course, not 
necessarily gone through with it, but perhaps in the same motion, suggesting that, well, if we only get 49 overs in in the time allowed, then we need an allowance for this so that we don't have to field with only four men outside the circle for that final over, whereas we would normally be allowed five. So any of that kind of stuff could have happened. Instead, what did happen was that Shakib, after being informed of this, saw a way of taking a wicket within the laws of the game. And he appealed, as is his right, and he allowed the umpires to then make their decision. Now, as I said, Matthews tried twice to talk to Shakib to have him recall the appeal, which he refused. And from the point, from that, from the point he was made aware that he was able to get this wicket by doing this, Shakib absolutely and solidly said, "That's out," and he had no regrets and made no effort to even think about changing his decision. So from here, we come to the onerous debate about the laws of cricket versus the spirit of cricket. And this is the same story as we always seem to get. The spirit of cricket is brought up whenever someone has done something stupid, and yes, I'm talking exactly about Johnny Bairstow, and they then look to get away with the stupidity they've just done by invoking the non-existent spirit of cricket rather than applying the actual laws of cricket which have been in existence for almost 300 years. Now Matthews may not have been trying to get away with anything in this instance but he was in fact in error when he wasn't ready to face up in time no matter what that reason was. Now, if a team chooses not to appeal in that situation, which has happened before at test level in particular, then that is their prerogative. There's no problem with that. But that doesn't make it a right of the batting team to expect that every single time a player is tardy getting onto the field, that you just expect the other team will not do anything. You can't just expect the team to play by the spirit of the game and not the laws of the game. By not doing everything in his power to be ready, Matthews left himself open to being dismissed. And he was. And no amount of complaining or arguing or carrying on can change the laws of the game. Now whether or not you believe Shakib should have appealed or not, the simple matter is that he did and that the laws were applied correctly by the umpires. As mentioned at the top, Matthews could have done things differently to avoid it, but he simply didn't believe that he had done anything wrong and that anyone would call him on it. The umpires could have used their discretion and said it was an equipment failure and a safety issue, and indeed, if it was a fast bowler bowling, they probably would have been obliged to do exactly that. But because it was Shakib and because he was a spinner, they didn't, and instead they applied the law as it is written. And Shakib could not have appealed, or he could have withdrawn his appeal. But he was not inclined to do so in a match that Bangladesh had to win in order to try and qualify for the Champions Trophy in 2024. In the long run, there is no winner here. Well, Bangladesh won the game. <laughs> and Sri Lanka could have avoided that 
If they'd caught Shakib when he was on seven, instead of letting him then go on to score 80-odd off 60-odd. And Bangladesh now will be added to a list by those that actually believe that the spirit of cricket is a real thing and as the purveyors of evil in this. Now, if the law is a bad one, it would have been taken out of the rule book years ago. But it is there for a reason, and that reason came to pass on Monday, no matter how much ill will people may feel about it actually occurring and the circumstances that led up to it. Some people will say that Matthews was not trying to get away with anything. It was just simply his strap fail. But the point was, he could have been out there earlier. He could have done a number of things to avoid being timed out. And he didn't do it basically because of the ambivalence of batsmen in this day and age that they just don't believe the players are going to call them on their stupidity, as was in this case, as was with Johnny Bairstow and when he got stumped in the Ashes series. Because they were being lazy and lax when it came to what they were supposed to do correctly, they were found out by it, and then they decided that it was the other team that is in the wrong and not them themselves. And that's where the problems lie with this spirit of cricket and laws of cricket thing that continues to raise its ugly head. You know how I feel about the spirit of cricket. If you've listened to this program long enough and you've listened to enough episodes, I think it's only brought up by teams who have done the wrong thing. And I think that exact same thing happened the other night. Could common sense have prevailed? It could have. But when it comes to the laws and they were applied correctly, then that's the way cricket runs. It would be litigious to suggest that anything is predetermined, but I don't think there's much doubt that the pitch for last night's match between Afghanistan and Australia was purpose-prepared to suit Afghanistan. And then when they won the toss and were able to bat, they had every advantage in their favour. They batted beautifully on a pitch, don't get me wrong, that offered Australia's bowlers nothing. And they went hard at the end when Australia once again failed to bowl the right lengths and line to suppress the attack of the batsmen. 81 runs came off the final 45 deliveries from Australia's awful bowling something they have been unable to fix during this entire World Cup. Now, this tournament has seen a lot of good totals batting first, followed by double-digit totals in reply, and Australia absolutely should have been one of those. They were 7 for 91 in the 19th over. Head was out early again, once again caught behind for a duck. Mitch Marsh was palpably LBW once again. David Warner was once again bold, slogging, trying to hit across the line. Josh Inglis got another first baller in this tournament, once again trying to prove that he is the man for the moment and again failing miserably. Marnus Labashain was carelessly run out for no good reason. Probably not a great call from Glenn Maxwell, but also he was on his heels and if he had been backing up properly, he'd have made that run. Marcus Stoinis had absolutely no idea which way the ball was turning and then decided to play a reverse sweep. And, of course, that didn't work, turn out well either. And then Mitchell Stark didn't even hit the ball 
and then didn't review when he was caught behind off Rashid Khan. It's honestly, Australia's reviewing overall, but in this tournament has been awful and is so abysmal, they should just not even bother to try anymore. I think they've had two successful reviews out of 13 or 14 in this tournament, and it's just been an absolute waste of time. So at 7 for 91, Afghanistan was apparently a 99.58% chance of winning this match. And you could see, they were cock-a-hoop. They believed that they had this match won. And to be fair, everyone thought that. Australia needed 200 more runs with three wickets in hand. Glenn Maxwell was still at the crease. He had been dropped twice. Once One was an absolute dolly at backward square leg. And he'd also survived a review after being given out LBW with the ball bouncing over the top of the middle stump. I guarantee you that for Afghanistan, the drop catch is the one that they will think about forever until they finally defeat Australia. It is impossible to truly describe Glenn Maxwell's innings. His century of 40 balls earlier in the tournament was absolutely bombastic. But this one was on another level. He played shots all around the ground, and he faced all of the bowling with ease. At the other end, Pat Cummins just didn't get out and played his role perfectly, giving Maxwell the, the man at the other end so he could do his work. His century came from 76 deliveries. And from the 36th over onwards, the physio came out every over to administer anything that could help with Maxwell's convulsing body. He cramped up everywhere, including a full body cramp as he lay helpless on the ground not long after his century. It got to the point with 12 overs to go that he could not move without cramping. And so he would just set himself for the next delivery and then hit the ball to whatever part of the ground he wanted without moving any other part of his body. Just think about that. Just think about how difficult that is when you are 100% fit, let alone in the throes of pain. His feet and body didn't move as he hit straight drives along the ground and in the air. He pulled swats behind and over square leg. He had no alternative but to hit hard as the only singles he could get was with a slow waddle to the other end. And yet the fact that he was unable to move meant that his head was completely still over the ball for every particular shot. And perhaps this is the greatest advertisement for that part of batting and being a good batter in keeping your head still. It was amazing how many gaps he hit and so powerfully in this style of batting. Falls through cover to the boundary that perhaps would not have occurred if he hadn't been so hobbled. The pain he went through to complete this innings is almost beyond comprehension. Warner did something similar in the Boxing Day test last year, but this was another level. But he had no choice but to continue, and he did, knowing that he was the team's only chance of victory. Zampa came to the sideline twice, believing he would have to come in and bat as Maxwell would retire hurt. But Maxwell just found a way to go on. People may forget that Maxwell's career was almost over when he broke his leg at a pool party 12 months ago. 
Forget the rehab he had to do, not knowing if he would ever be selected again anyway. I wonder if that was going through his mind as he refused to buckle and refused to retire hurt under the pain he was going through at the back end of his innings. Australia needed 21 from 23 balls, having negotiated their way from requiring 201 runs from 189 balls when Cummins arrived at the crease. At this point, Maxwell went 6-6-4-6 to finish the match with three overs to spare, and in the process bring up his own total of 201 of just 128 deliveries, with 21 fours and 10 sixes. It was the highest individual score by an Australian male in ODI history. His first 100 had come off 76 balls, and his next 100 had come off 52. Glenn Maxwell has been an enigma for most of his cricketing career, both maligned and hero-worshipped at different times. He has often been poorly treated by selectors and captains alike, and yet keeps rebounding in a way that someone of lesser fortitude would not have been able to do. One wonders if he had had the same opportunities by selectors as other players over the past 15 years have had for lesser rewards, just what he may have achieved. Or, perhaps, it was always meant to be this way. The flashes of brilliance that come at times when they are required, whether for the team or just as a reminder of his talent. More than anything else, it saved his team when they were on the precipice against a surging force in the one-day format. The result may well have cost Afghanistan a place in the semi-finals of this World Cup, but it did certainly ensure that Australia, at least, will make it to the final week of the tournament. There is just over a week left of this World Cup for 2023. And we know now that uh, India and South Africa and Australia are definitely through to the semi-finals. The fourth semi-final position will come down to New Zealand, Pakistan and Afghanistan, who are all on the same points. Uh, New Zealand are currently in front on a run rate, and they would be more likely to go through given that they should beat Sri Lanka in their next match. But the other games are still important because Sri Lanka and Bangladesh and the Netherlands and England are all fighting for a place in the Champions Trophy next year. And they need to finish in the top seven for that to occur. Now, England, of course... uh, have had such a terrible tournament, it would be such a crying shame to see them miss out on the Champions Trophy next year as well. You can really hear the tears from the rest of the world. Anyway, with a few games left, we'll just have to wait and see how it all pans out now and then who plays each other in the semi-finals of this World Cup, which has been more fascinating than I believed it was going to be at the start of the tournament, I must admit. Obviously, India are still the favourites, having not lost a game. But once we get down to those knockout games, anything can happen. Thanks once again for tuning in to this episode of The Casual Mancatter. And I hope that you've enjoyed the discussion and I hope you've enjoyed the cricket because it has been, as I said, fascinating to watch. On the top of that, let's hope that you'll uh, watch the rest of the games. I hope you'll also come back for more episodes as we reach the end of this tournament, and then into the Australian summer proper. (laughs) Can't wait. (laughs) 
I'd love to be going to more cricket myself. But, you know, sometimes you just have to be at work. Alrighty, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you'll come back for the next exciting episode of Thoughts from the Metal Cabin. Cheers. You have been listening to a Metal Cavern production.